0: Hi, everybody. This is Ben Kitchings of the History Voyager. I'm here with Derek, and he does a movie blog. Can you say the name of your movie blog?
1: Yeah. Well, uh, I, I do podcasts called Underrated about movies, and then I also uh, write for film about some t- write about film sometimes. I should say um, uh, over on Medium, just under my name, Derek McDuff. Um, so I do a few things with movies. I also write for Watch Mojo sometimes on a freelance basis or whatever movie publication.
0: Yeah. When you when I saw that thing in Watch Mojo, I was like, "Oh, I want to talk to him." Okay, <laughs> for the folks that don't know what Watch Mojo is, why don't you explain what Watch Mojo is? Yeah, so
1: basically, it's a YouTube channel slash website that just kind of ranks things. They do a lot of pop culture stuff. Um, I usually write about movies for them, but it'll be top ten lists, and it could be, you know, top ten anything. Like I've written like top ten killer songs or. Um, top 10 graphic novels of all time, Uh, top 10 uh, uh, dragons from uh, TV and film is one I just finished that isn't up yet, so get to do top 10 lists. I love ranking things, so it's been a lot of fun uh, writing for them over the past few years.
0: I'm going to love talking to you. Um, (laughs) Okay, so I have a question. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm of the age where... I was I was very well aware of the Watchmen graphic novel before the movie came out, Mm -hmm. and I always said like I wasn't one of these people that was like super super duper into comics, but I really do and did like the Watchmen graphic novel, and I really always have. And I mean, even as like a, I think I came into it when I was nineteen. Um. But let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Is it cliche to say that's in the top 10 graphic novels of all time? Or is that just sort of like saying, no, it's not cliche because it's true?
1: Yeah, I think that's kind of a gimme, you know. <laughs> it's it's you got to kind of put that one. I mean, we had it as number one when we did the ranking. Um I hadn't read it before that. So I I read a lot of graphic novels for that and I read it. And I mean, it's, it's the only graphic novel that made times top hundred novels of the 20th century uh, for a reason, you know, not saying that other graphic novels could have made that list. They obviously could have, but you know, that's the one when you talk about the great, great graphic novels of all time that everybody knows, even non comic fans, there's a reason that one stands apart because it is so iconic and it is a cliche, to say it's number one, but you know sometimes the cliches are right. They're right for a reason. People like those movies be- and those or those comics because they're good.
0: Yeah, and I mean I have very conflicted feelings about the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, not the movie as just the movie, but what the movie did to movies, like what the action, what the movie Watchmen did to movies. I just think it's terrible. Um, yeah, I have then,
1: really mixed feelings on the movie too. There's some parts of it I really like um zach snyder is an interesting character because i think he is someone who i i think he's a really talented interesting filmmaker but he can get really just too much into the aesthetics of something and i think that Watchmen suffers from that a little bit um his politics are really weird um you know i won't get too much into that but he is kind of a libertarian so some of his ideas are good and some of ideas of his ideas are terrible um so you know uh so
0: yeah yeah, I mean, that comes
1: through in all of his superhero stuff. It's all kind of like, well, this yeah. is the greatest person, and you all are terrible. Um, the Watchmen show, though, is nothing short of phenomenal. That's one of my but favorite miniseries of all time. Like, if you I haven't loved already seen
0: it, that show, I loved that show. That, that show was amazing. Um, I, you know, first of all, when I first even heard about it, I, I suppose we should. Okay, Derek, I have a question. Yeah. Should we talk about because I can go way off the rails and we can t- <laughs> talk about Watchmen? Um, and two people will listen and I won't care. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so here's the okay, so the Watchmen comic is basically takes place in the 80s, mm-hmm. right? It takes place in the 80s. Um, Nixon is has another term as president, right? He was, like, right, correct?
1: Yeah, I think he's um, getting elected to his fourth term when the, the graphic novel is set, if, I, if yeah, I'm not yeah. mistaken.
0: It's been a while. So, but it takes place essentially, well, mainly in New York or mm-hmm. in the New York area. Uh, of course, there is, you know, I think they go to the North Pole or the South Pole, but mainly in the in New York area. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what the Watchmen TV show did was it said, okay, great, this... this this happened it's in this universe but we're gonna move the scene to oklahoma and i was like really and now i'm <laughs> like oh this makes sense because you want to show people what this is really like what this yeah really it does is a really like.
1: good job of kind of like grounding it in this alternate future because for those who don't know the watchman show is not an adaptation of the graphic novel it is set you know it it came out in 2020 in kind of the real world of or the what would have been this alternate timeline of 2019 um just you know uh what would have grown out of the graphic novel you know so it's almost like a sequel series to the original graphic novels is done by my favorite ever tv showrunner Damon Lindelof and he always brings a lot of interesting themes that were present in the original graphic novels about religion and yeah. race and all of these deep, complex issues, politics, all of this stuff. He does a really good job with, and he brings it into his show.
0: He's done a lot of really good shows. He did, mm-hmm. he did the why. He did. Um, we just said Watchmen, but he did Lost. Mm-hmm.
1: He did My favorite show ever, and he also did uh, The Leftovers, which is did, also and phenomenal.
0: He, and he did um,
1: Game of Thrones. No, he wasn't really involved with the game. There was a lot of crossover between Game of Thrones and Lost. Um that uh he the showrunners were DB Weiss and David Benioff I think for those. Um but there was, you know, a lot of directors yeah. who directed episodes of both Game of Thrones, like Alan Taylor did okay. Game of Thrones and needed a couple episodes of Lost or at least one episode of Lost.
0: To me, like Lost, I mean, I love, okay. I love the first I love the first years of Lost. I think that's an amazing um, series, the first several years of Lost. And then one of the characters died, and then the show just sort of fell off a cliff to me. See, a, a lot of characters died, and I know that a lot of people kind
1: of didn't like the later seasons or fell off of it, and there is, I will admit, a bit of a lull in the third season. Um but then once the producers yeah. and the showrunners were given a kind of ending date, they were like, alright, we're able to stop spinning our wheels and get to a clear ending story. And I think the way it wrapped up, for me personally, I know some it, the ending is divisive. Um, and it, it, the ending really worked for me because it's very emotional. It's very much all the characters' arcs are completed in a really meaningful way. I thought the mythology was wrapped up nicely without it being just, it gave you enough of the clues to figure the stuff out yourself without outright telling everything. Like a lot of people yeah. seem to dislike it for that reason, that it didn't outright yeah. answer everything. Um, but I think it did a really good job with that. And especially now with Game of Thrones, which you just mentioned, ending and not having a very positive ending in a lot of people's minds, I think people are kind of going back and reexamining Lost and be like, did we get the ending of this wrong? Maybe it was actually great.
0: So I have. Um... A very nuanced take on i guess game of thrones period paragraph okay. like just at all so game of thrones i don't know i don't know if you know this but game of thrones is actually not game of thrones but the saga of ice and fire mm-hmm, or fire mm-hmm. and ice or the saga of whatever and whatever the george rr R. martin books are his fictionalization of a war between two houses of between two ruling families in England um, yeah the of War
1: of the Roses it's it's loosely yeah. based on
0: yeah it is and the thing I loved about Game of Thrones was and I mean this unironically as all get out on earth if I were a, a history professor and I were teaching the Middle Ages the middle the Middle Ages in England or in mm-hmm. Europe I would say to my students watch game of thrones because here's why you need to be able to understand that these people that you're reading about believed in dragons. You need to know that. Okay. That they believed in things that we don't, that we know are not true. And so they did things that we would think would be crazy, but they didn't think they were crazy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So my take on the ending of Game of Thrones is this. History is messy. History ends in messy. History doesn't end, but it, episodes in history end in messy ways. Is That's my take. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, I actually kind of stopped watching the Game of Thrones so that I, I mean, this is probably never going to happen. Um and I know the broad strokes of the ending of Game of Thrones uh, because everyone does. But I, I wanted to catch up with the books. I wanted to wait for George to write the last two books. Um, I think that a lot of people's problems with it was that it felt not the, what actually happened, but that it felt a little rushed and messy. And it, like, you know, Danny's arc, for example, kind of just... C- Rather than you know taking its time, a couple more seasons to get there, it just kind of came out of nowhere. And I can't speak too much to that, not having seen it. But I do feel like you know that's something I'm going to be interested to see in the books. And with you know George R. R. Martin writing these huge, huge books that this last one he's been working on for close to ten years now, since the last one came out, I'll be interested yeah. to see how how that uh, ends up shaking out.
0: I think. Um... I think the main thing that we need to understand is that it's going to be somebody other than George R. R. Martin to finish it. It's probably <laughs> yeah. going to be his estate is going to give it to somebody or whatever. Because I don't. Yeah, think
1: yeah, we we don't alive. know. I hope. I mean, fingers crossed that George will finish it. But yeah, it's it's don't not don't looking great he's at this going point. To
0: be alive. Yeah. Um. So you're you have a very interesting blog about movies, and mm-hmm. one of your articles that I really hooked into was you think video game movies are terrible and yes they are and that's a very brave take that's a very <laughs> um but why why are they so bad Explain
1: well that. the kind of the larger point that i was making was yes a lot of them are bad and they have been bad for the majority of their history like and i i feel like that if you just watch a random video game movie then it's hard to argue with that but I think in the past maybe five or so years we've kind of proven that they don't have to be terrible and you know that was part it was part of a bigger series that I was working on I did three episodes on my podcast uh, underrated as well as a couple bonus episodes on some other uh, podcasts that I work on as well um, about just these video game movies and it's interesting if you look at the history of them and I kind of graphed it out, and you can see this graph in that uh, article that I wrote, uh, which is called The Fall and the Rise of Video Game Movies. And what that title is kind of alluding to, alluding to is, like, video, games started kind of, video game movies started kind of bad. They got a lot worse in, like, the early 2000s when you had Yuva Bowl and um, uh, uh, Anderson and all these guys making really bad adaptations of video game movies that had nothing to do with them, that were just kind of like, here's the name of the thing, we we'll slapped slap it on so we can make a bunch of money. And only recently, probably since about 2015 to 2019, maybe, really did with Detective Pikachu, have, like, the a lot of the, first of all, a lot of the fans of these games have kind of matured. They've gone to, into their 30s, gone to, you know, like, people my age are now in the film industry, are, are with power, and are making these games into movies with real care and devotion and not just slapping whatever together to make money. These are things from their childhoods that actually mean something to them. And also just graphics have got like uh, computer animation, all that stuff has gotten better. So you can take a Mortal Kombat and instead of making it look really bad and cheesy, it looks incredible. And so I think that video game movies are, which have been traditionally terrible, are actually starting to make a comeback. They're not all great. There's still some bad ones. There's still a Monster Hunter every now and then, but now we are starting to see a kind of resurgence of them, and there's an interesting statistic, and I keep bringing this up um, on my podcast, but I think it was the first of the first 45 video game movies on Rotten Tomatoes, they all had Rotten scores, and then the next nine, more than half of them, five of the nine, have all gotten positive scores since then, so that is a huge turnaround, with just look at how the critics are perceiving these movies. And I think it's, it's the same thing with the audiences and just the movies, you know, had the quality in general, you can really see how there has been a big switch from the movies of, you know, a video game movie that came out in the year 2000 and a video game movie that comes out in the year 2022.
0: I think also, I mean, video games have gotten a lot more realistic. You, you mm-hmm. look at there. There's even footage. I mean, some of this, uh, some of the footage that is purportedly from the war in Ukraine is actually coming from, from video game footage, for example. So, I mean, the footage, whatever you, I mean, the war in Ukraine is obviously horrible, but Mm. the fact that the footage is that realistic, I think is a testament. But I, I wonder also, like you're saying, if you have people growing up playing video games, if maybe they're more sympathetic to, uh, how to make a story to the rhythm of a video game.
1: Yeah. And that was one challenge that I think was a big thing for video game movies in the nineties and two thousands was that story. The way a story happens in a video game is so inherently different than the way that it happens in a film, because especially with the early ones, it's like, okay, you go in a room, you get a thing, you collect all the things and then you just kind of keep going on. Um, but, you know, over the years, the video game movie or plot lines have gotten so much more complex. You get stuff like the last of us, which would never have been possible in, you know, the eighties and nineties to make a video game like that. But now you can, and with video game storylines becoming more complex, becoming more movie, like that makes them that much easier to adapt. Like if you, Mm -hmm. you know, like the original super Mario brothers movie, or like the double dragon movie, both movies that came out in the early nineties, those games were just about kind of going to the left and saving a princess. How do you make that a movie? Well, you know, it's a lot easier to make a plot line based on a deep, uh, something with a deep complex lore than it is that, I mean, that's not to say that that's a gimme like Warcraft has a deep complex lore and it looks incredible. Um, I like some things about that movie, but it's not a good movie. So you still have to actually go in and make a good movie, but it is, Easier now than it used to be at least to yeah. adapt those kind of things.
0: I used to always um in another life, I used to joke about how, you know, anybody can remake Taxi Driver and make that into a good movie. All you have to do is call it paint by the numbers, right? <laughs> but what you need to do is remake Dude Where's My Car, but make it as a good movie. <laughs> that's
1: how Dude, you know. Yeah, that- that's a that's a good one. <laughs> that's a that's a weird dumb movie. <laughs>
0: But, I mean, the challenge is to turn it into an amazing movie. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) here's the question. Um, What do you see as a a movie that's bad, that could be tweaked and made into something amazing? Oh, man, that's a really good
1: question, because it reminds me of... Like, Michael Caine was like... There was a quote from years ago and was like, I don't think people should remake all these good movies. You should remake a bad movie and make it good. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think... There is some good example. So just something recently that um, came out, uh, I would tweak Jurassic World Dominion and because that movie has a lot of potential. The first act, I think, is very strong. And the premise of that movie, just like dinosaurs loose in the world, gives you a lot of really cool options. And with that Jurassic World Dominion movie, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but they kind of chose the most boring by the numbers weird option they were like let's just make this movie about locusts and you're like what so that would that would definitely be one that i would like to see you know or what i would have liked to see another version of uh would have been Jurassic world dominion i'm gonna have to think about that because that is a really good question
0: is that the one i have seen the the previews for is that the one where the dinosaurs are in the are in the freezing cold and you're just like, how in the world are the dinosaurs in the freezing cold?
1: There's there is a little scene. I think, yeah, it's the one that j- it's out in theaters right now. It just came out like a week or two ago in theaters. Uh-huh. There is a scene where a dinosaur go dives under some ice, and I'm like, well, I guess you know, because I also just watched Prehistoric Planet, and they had a whole episode about dinosaurs and ice worlds. And so dinosaurs lived all over the world, you know, for millions, hundreds of millions of years. So there were some that could live in snow. I mean, I don't know which ones or anything like that, but
0: yeah. I watch, um, there's a PBS show I watch called Nova. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. There, there's, I don't know if you know who, uh, it's like one of them was an actor and the other one was a naturalist. Hang on. But they were brothers or cousins or something. Attenborough.
1: Oh, um, yeah, David Attenborough. Yeah, he, he. Um, yeah, because David Attenborough is um is the the guy who was like, oh mammals. he he was actually the host of Prehistoric Planet. And then Richard
0: Attenborough, his brother, was in the original Jurassic Park as John Hammond. Okay, so David okay, so David Attenborough. He does this thing on Nova where he takes you to this um apparently there's a there's a paleont paleontologist who are excavating a site now where they think like this is the moment where the the meteor hit and killed the dinosaurs. Mm. Like we found like somewhere where like this is the moment in time where that happened, and it, it's just really fascinating. And I mean, in some respects, I'm I'm like a, a four year old because when I was four, I learned about dinosaurs for the first time, and mm. I've never gotten over that. Like I've i always kind of like, I love dinosaurs. I don't want to be around them, but you know, yeah, <laughs> you know. No, no, I hear you, but yeah, yeah. So. Oh.
1: But I was going to say, I, I have one more, too. Another another good example I just thought of right now is okay. uh, last year's movie, um, or two years ago, I guess, uh, Army of the Dead, uh, bringing it back mm-hmm. to Zack Snyder again, which is, it's a really interesting premise for a movie where it's like a heist film, um, but with zombies, where like Las Vegas has been taken over by a zombie plague, and they need to go do a heist in it. And I was like, this sounds so fun and so cool. It's gonna be like awesome, like I'm excited to see some Zack Snyder visuals, but like Ocean's Eleven, but with zombies. That sounds incredible, and it it ends up not being that at all. It's like a really dark, drab, kind of boring, depressing movie that yeah. isn't really like the heist is very minimal in it. It becomes just more about like just it's so sad, and just I wanted to see a cool heist movie with zombies. Like that sounds like that just writes itself, and it just the premise was wasted.
0: I mean, I saw like Tenant. I think it's called Tenet. Oh, Tenant. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Nolan. That's another one. I I love Chris. I love every Christopher Nolan movie I've ever seen except for Tenant. Yeah. Um. I just I can't. I saw Tenant. I swear to God, I saw it. I can't tell you what it was about. Well, I you probably couldn't hear it because the sound mixing in that movie was so bad. Oh, I I I, I got to see it at home. So I got to see. I got to. I was riding that volume button, man. Yeah. I, I, I was all about that volume button.
1: Yeah, that movie but, is it's not Nolan's bet. I, I I love Nolan. That is maybe my least favorite Nolan movie to be
0: honest. Oh, I, I love what he did. Um, the original Batman movie. Where mm-hmm. he took he made Batman an adult film. Like, you know, a film for adults that could happen in the world, the real world, blah blah blah. I love that. And like the second one was cool. The third one was cool, but and he did this one movie. What was it called? Uh, Memento.
1: Memento. Yeah. One of his first big ones. That's a good one. That
0: was so cool. Memento. Was, and what was the one he did? I actually had it for a while. Um, the Following. Following. You yeah, seen, yeah. Yeah. You've seen
1: that? I haven't. Okay. okay. I've seen, I haven't seen Following or Insomnia. I've seen all of his other films, but I haven't seen those first two.
0: Okay. I didn't really like insomnia. There was, there was a massive plot hole in insomnia that's like big. There was a big aggravating plot hole in insomnia. Um, But following is like really creepy and totally mm. possible.
1: Okay, <laughs> it's, it's been on my list for a long time. I've just got so many movies to watch. I just haven't yeah. gotten to it yet. But uh, I, I've always wanted to watch it, you know.
0: It's basically, well, not to give anything away, but it's essentially about it's about a guy who, well, I can't that's the problem about the following is I can't tell you what it's about without giving it away. Um it's one of these what I call puzzle movies, right? You're putting yeah. together a puzzle. And the ending is like so obvious. Once you figure it out, the ending is so obvious, but it's also just like the most amazing thing about it is like, you think about it, you're like, this is totally possible. Mm. Like, but yeah. I've never seen this before, but this is completely something that could absolutely happen to somebody.
1: Yeah. Nolan's so good at that. Just kind of like making a twist that you just like, Oh my gosh. Cause the t- twist endings are really hard to pull off because you know, on one hand they, you can make it too obvious and then it's people like, yeah, I got that. I saw it coming or, you can go the other direction, and it's just like a twist that comes out of nowhere and makes no sense. And you're like, "Why was Halle Berry the? Mur- if Halle Berry was the murderer, why was she acting scared if she was by herself? You know." So that is a, a you got to walk on a knife edge to make a really really good right. twist ending. And I think that Nolan is yeah. one of the best.
0: Well, let me ask you this, um, thinking kind of deeply here. So, I'm kind of new to TikTok. I've I've been on TikTok a few months. Um I've been a creator for less than that. A lot less than that. But it occurs to me on TikTok, I don't know if you've seen it cuz everybody's algorithms different. But I've seen like what I'll call a genre of like like people that are like in the housing industry, like they're in the the home inspection industry or whatever. And they'll go through and show you some really messed up stuff in houses that's like deeply messed up, like fake rooms, like false rooms or hidden rooms or whatever. And some of this is like really creepy, right? And I'm wondering, like, here's a question Mm -hmm. How do you think TikTok is going to impact movies?
1: That's an interesting question because TikTok, yeah, it is so specific like I don't know what their algorithm is but they like zero in on you so well um well it's interesting to see like the way that technology has affected movies and you see you know following or not following um (sighs) searching the one with John Cho where it's like all done from screens is such an interesting movie and movies in general have been getting a lot more kind of just you know like, uh, kind of, you kind of just hit people with a lot of short stuff. So, you know, ha- TikTok, you've already, all the way, already, I've been seeing a lot of advertising on TikTok that has been very effective. So it's at least affecting it already in that sense. Like, I remember I kept getting ads for everything everywhere all at once, and there was just the sound that kept playing whenever I'd go on it. Mm. Um, so, and, you know, that movie, I think, is kind of almost. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, a movie that is very affected by TikTok because it is kind of all these like short little things. Here's here's one scene. Here's another scene that's a different universe. Here's another thing, and you could say the same thing uh, about maybe parts of Doctor Strange of the Multiverse of Madness. We are getting a lot of these kind of multiverse movies, so you know, getting these little bursts of something. Here's one thing, and here's something different, and here's something else different. Is is yeah. maybe some way that it will affect it? And movies have been getting a lot quicker over you know however many years uh they were a lot i think most people would agree that a lot of blockbuster movies specifically not all movies but a lot of these big tentpole blockbusters have been getting a lot more fast paced and oh, you know TikTok oh. might even accelerate that i don't know if that's the best
0: but well as i was talking about the following it occurs to me like today that would be a series of TikToks.
1: like mm-hmm. you
0: could easily do the following as a series of three minute little TikToks, because it was so low budget and it was so I think it was all black and white even like he literally filmed it like on a black and white camera and mm-hmm. with his friend. I think it was like his roommate or his friend or something. And I don't think he's ever acted in anything before or since. <laughs> but yeah. Well, it's like no. good Lord. He was a good actor in that. Yeah, that, that's so interesting because,
1: you know, we have seen with TikTok and YouTube and all these other um, devices and, you know, so you can just shoot an i movie on your iPhone now and it'll look incredible. In, back in the day, in the 20th century, you know, movies were so prohibitive. Like, you couldn't make a movie. Like, it was a- literally impossible for someone like you or me to make a movie, um, you know. Even in the 90s when they started coming out with camcorders, you couldn't really do it. And... Nolan was one of the first to kind of like be able to break in and all those indie filmmakers of the early 90s were able to kind of break in thanks to this technology and that was the very very beginning of it now it's so much more open like I just watched two movies they were they were unquestionably movies that were made and distributed specifically for YouTube they were both these really Interesting documentaries about pretty niche subjects in theme parks. They were both done by this great YouTube channel called Defunct Land, and they made these two feature films. And there's no way you would have been able to do that ten years ago. Definitely not even twenty years ago. But and that is something that is definitely a huge positive side from the filmmaking aspect. Is that yeah we are getting all of these new voices, all these independent voices that we would never hear from. And sometimes they're getting scooped up and going on to do bigger things uh, in the industry. Like you have someone like, could uh, go, uh, K- I can never pronounce his name, Kagoda, K- Kodoga, um, who would make all these really great film video essays. Like he's so knowledgeable about film and he would make all these video essays and kind of, you know, ended up, people saw them and became he became big. And uh, then he just had a movie um, premiere, he made a movie uh, after Yang with Colin Farrell, and it was amazing. It went to Sundance, and it got bought up by Showtime. And so you, you have mm-hmm. these inroads now, mm. thanks to things like YouTube and TikTok, or you know, digital recording, or what, or just recording something on your phone, or whatever it might be, that are giving us all of these new and interesting filmmakers and filmmaking styles not just filmmakers Mm -hmm. but filmmaking styles and you can make you can change something you can you know throw something in after effects and before Mm -hmm. if you wanted to make something look the right color you'd have to painstakingly color grade it on something that would cost thousands of dollars now it's an app you can do it with pressing a button on your phone
0: well the thing i think is even cooler is you can even open up i mean in a way you can even open up like what what somebody could watch, or what somebody would want to watch, because there's mm-hmm. a guy that I follow on TikTok, for example. And before TikTok, before I got on TikTok, if you'd have told me that there's a guy out there, Ben, that is recording three minute videos of like what he sees in houses, and it's interesting, it's actually interesting, and you'd want to watch it, I'd be like, really? How? What? <laughs> no. Huh? And <laughs> you know but apparently like there's a lot of houses in this country that have rooms hidden behind walls mm-hmm. like apparently and you know or like the there was the one lady there was a she actually made the super bowl commercial or whatever oh yeah yeah yeah. you know what i'm talking about the lady yeah mm-hmm. had this apartment and like see that's even crazier because it's an apartment it's not a house like <laughs> how, did, how did that Okay, so we should say there's a lady that made the TikTok commercial where she filmed her apartment where she found a room hidden behind a wall and it had a bunk bed and all sorts of stuff. It was crazy.
1: Yeah, it's it's absolutely wild, the stuff that is on TikTok because you have, you know, however many people are using it and they're all so creative and the app the algorithm works really well so it'll find you and if it's something that you're into you you will be like you don't have to go searching for it really it just comes straight to you straight to your phone while you're scrolling
0: in bed you know i don't know like i have this little ritual where i watch it after i eat after i eat supper mm-hmm. i have a little ritual where i like just relax in front of tiktok for a minute or two and you know whatever but um so uh derek you mentioned by name uh a um You mentioned by name a Marvel movie, so I'm going to guess you're a Marvel fan.
1: Yes, Um, that is correct. I'm definitely a big fan of Marvel, uh, the MCU. Uh,
0: Yeah. Why? What has the MCU got going on? Well, I think
1: that they're doing something that has never really been done before. Um, I mean, you could make the argument maybe that the Universal Monster movies were doing it. I don't really agree with that, but they are taking, they are doing, at least it's never been done in film, I should say. Um, where they are taking all of these characters, all of these different storylines, and making it this crazy, interesting shared universe. And it's something that's, it harkens back to, like, the old Arthurian legends, where you would have, you know, your... Your main story, you'd have your King Arthur, your Avengers in this case, and he'd go off and do something. But then you would have a story like the Green Knight and you'd have Arthur would show up in, in, in a cameo, but it would be all about Gawain just going off and doing his adventure. Or you would have a story about Lancelot. Or you would have a story that would be about, you know, Arthur's ancestors and how they founded Rome or whatever it might be. And the Marvel Universe is continuing that literary tradition on the big screen. And they're doing it so interestingly and successfully where they are weaving all of these different plots together and taking all of these characters that seem like they really shouldn't work. Like I, like a lot of people forget that before Avengers one came out, people were like, this is going to, this is going to be dumb. This is, they're like, you're not going to be able to mix Thor, a God of thunder with a guy who wears a suit and a soldier from the forties. Like, and then like a spy lady. like it's never going to work. And then it was like one of the most successful movies of all time, spanning the most successful franchise of all time. And I just think that is so cool. And it's really hard to make a good movie. People don't think about, like, there have been one or two misses for Marvel, like, early on. There have been a couple, like, I think Iron Man 2 and The Incredible Hulk are not great movies, but they learned their lesson. And even those movies are decent. And you have all these other studios trying to do what Marvel does, and they are just failing over and over again. They are not able to make this interesting shared universe. You have something like the new Mummy movie, which was like, oh, supposed to launch the Dark Universe. That didn't happen. You have the DC films. They've kind of gone back and forth. They want their stuff to be shared or what they want to do. And then you have even studios with rights to some of the Marvel characters. You have something like Morbius. There's never been a Marvel movie in the same league as how bad Morbius was. So the fact that they are consistently able to make these good movies tying them together with an ever-changing and ever-evolving plot adding a new character subtracting others and making it part of this grand storytelling tradition is phenomenal
0: i really have like so my thought is like okay i like good superhero movie every once in a while but I go back to... I remember when The Thin Red Line came out. Have you ever seen The Thin Red Line? No, I haven't. I've, I've been meaning to. I'm a
1: fan of um, that director, but I, I have My not seen Thin red, red Line.
0: Yeah. Um, you should see Thin Red Line. Um, because what The Thin Red Line is, is it, in every World War II movie you'll ever see, okay, there's a scene where, like the malcontented... Uh, gi right there's a Mm -hmm. scene about the malcontented gi this movie takes that malcontented gi and just goes with it for the whole run of the movie and like the guest appearances are amazing it has like john travolta it has alec baldwin it has i forget just so many but it's so good and it's it's so like it's so cool but the thing is like it's obviously an art movie it's obviously like an art movie, very sophisticated. But it's like people used to, you couldn't do that in the theater now because of Marvel, because of streaming, because of Marvel. And I had a, a film scholar on here on my show, and she talked about how like, you're not going to see those, um, like the interesting little character studies anymore in the movies because of uh, comic book films like you're gonna have to do the joker movies like the joker where the joker is a malcontented person that you do or or something like that you know know well i mean
1: that's an argument that i've heard a lot and i I don't think it's really an argument in good faith from a lot of these people where they're like oh well Mm -hmm. marvel's ruined all movies and stuff like that and first of all i'll say that like it's it's not really Marvel. It's kind of movies in general are like I alluded to before becoming quicker and bigger and louder, and you know. But there are still big budget movies that are very interesting and thoughtful. You know, I think one good example, and it is a superhero movie, is the Batman. Matt Reeves is the Batman, which came out earlier this year. I I really loved that movie um and it's very different than a lot of these marvel movies it takes batman to his roots of being a detective um the one thing i will agree with that a lot of that criticism is i think that a lot of the mid-budget movies the movies that were made in like the 100 million dollar range are tending to disappear and everything is going to have to be a you know a big action movie or a you know a smaller budget cuz there are still a lot of really good stuff being made for a small budget like uh, everything every wall at once to bring that up again. It was made for I think uh, along the lines of twenty to thirty million dollars, and it looks incredible for that budget. Or even something like Ambulance, which is you know Michael Bay's movie. Um, you still have Chris Nolan making movies. There are still some you know quote unquote auteurs who are out here making their visions, um, and mm. the you know the kind of a lot of that has died down. A lot of the vision. Uh, the uh, auteur, vision-led director movies from the 90s and 2000s have died down. I have a lot of problems with the kind of auteur theory and just like, oh, give this one genius $100 million and he'll make something great. That has died down a lot, but it's not, it's not like those movies are gone. You know, the top grossing movie um, this summer, um, you know, once things shake out, is going to be Top Gun. That's a movie that is not a superhero movie in any sense of the word, and it's a huge movie. It's getting great reviews, everybody's going to go see it. So I I don't think I completely agree with that, and it's, you know, people are acting like this is the 50s, and superhero movies are westerns, but there's so many more movies that are not superhero movies that do really well. Jurassic Park Dominion, not a great movie, but it's making a lot of money, it's not a superhero movie, and you are still getting studios like A24 and Netflix and um, some other streamers that are making these movies that are big movies that are not superhero movies that are mm. deeper, thoughtful stuff. Like The Green Knight would be a good example of one. Um, last year, from David Lowry, which is a big Arthurian, weird A24 movie, um, didn't do great at the box office, but, um, or something like The Northman this year, David Eggers, you know. So these guys are still yeah. getting to make interesting movies. And I think that saying, oh, well, this is the death of cinema. I think there's a lot, it's just kind of, you know, some alarm bells going off and, you know, people wanting to be mad about stuff. I I really don't, they have some points, but I think it is,
0: yeah. it is really overblown. I mean, I remember like in the nineties and in the two thousands, you even heard from people like, um, uh, he's dead now, but, uh, Oh God. Oh, I, his name is gone but there was a famous director who died suddenly and he was saying, well, I can't make my movies anymore. Like back in the nineties, he was saying I can't make my movies anymore because, you know, nobody wants to see stories. And yeah, maybe, you know, we've had, maybe there's always like a changing of the guard and different stuff. I mean, different stories. I mean, nobody's seeing the jazz singer anymore either. So, (laughs) you know, yeah, yeah. you're not seeing the jazz singer or the or any Eisenstein movie either. So, <laughs> yeah, Sergei Eisenstein. Yeah, but he was a, a very interesting uh, Russian director.
1: Yeah, a lot of um, Battleship Potemkin. A lot of he invented the mm, mo- not invented, but basically
0: invented the montage. He discovered. Well, I I think you're right. I think he did. He he discovered the montage, or invented, or whatever you whatever <clears> the <throat> verb is there. But he essentially invented. I think you're absolutely right. I would agree to that. I think he basically made cinema possible in a way. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And I mean, you know. So tell me, tell me first of all, tell me about your blog. Yeah. Your so you know, blog.
1: my uh, my write uh, on Medium uh, just Derek McDuff uh, Medium.com slash Derek McDuff. Um, I write about movies. Um, A lot of those are tied into my podcast that I do called underrated, uh, where Mm -hmm. we talk about underrated movies, um, because that's something that I'm really passionate about is, you know, talking about these movies that are, you know, underrated gems and, you know, might've slipped under the radar. Maybe sometimes it is something like what we're talking about. We just talked about silence and it was one of Martin Scorsese's last big budget movies that came out in theaters. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, there are movies that really more people should be interested in about and talk about because there's so many movies that come out that get forgotten. I really want to put a spotlight on some of them.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I do. I totally agree with that. And because we live in a very fragmented uh, entertainment world now, like mm-hmm. super fragmented. And to the point where you can have a movie that's like you think is amazing and lots of people have never heard of it. Or, yeah, yeah. you know, you can have like the famous example is okay, Joe Rogan is the biggest podcaster in the world. <laughs> and I bet you anything, I could walk down this street and knock on seven doors and maybe six people haven't heard of Joe Rogan. Hmm. Just saying.
1: Yeah, no, it's it, we become very insulated in our world and, you know, we might think, oh, well, because everybody i i I know this and a lot of people who in my circle know this i think assume everybody knows it but that's not necessarily Mm going to be true
0: right right and i mean i mean i've got that i mean i i find myself um on youtube a lot watching a lot of foreign films and foreign television that no one in this country hardly has heard of yeah because it's so interesting like as an american like You just wouldn't see that, like you wouldn't see that concept. Yeah, I mean that
1: you know, like that's interesting because you know right now a big film that I haven't gotten a chance to see yet, but I do want to see it because it's three hours long. um, Is a movie? It's either called RRR or Triple R, but it's an Indian film and it's getting a lot of love and people are really demanding it and wanting to see it. And you know, so with cinema being so accessible worldwide to everyone we are getting to see these things that people from um parts of the world might not have seen we would have never this movie would have never made it to the states you know 10 15 years ago but now it's here and it's becoming a phenomenon and through the internet and, um it is really caught fire
0: well and that's another thought is like we have a lot more immigrants now than we did in the 90s mm-hmm. or in the early 2000s and i wonder i honestly wonder if like, so you've got a lot of Indian immigrants or a lot of whatever kind of immigrants and, and they're bringing or not them, but the market is bringing their cinema to them in a certain yeah. way. I, I wonder,
1: I wonder, I, mean, I wonder if it's less because I don't know if we have more immigrants or more that we're giving a voice now to people that we haven't traditionally gave, given a voice to because, you know, America, there's that kind of myth that America is just like a melting pot and it's the land of, you know, immigrants and everyone can trace their you know, parents back just like one generation. There's so many, you know, one generation people. And, yeah. you know, I my best friend is Indian and, um, you know, so his dad is, is from India. And uh, so, you know, you get a lot of, you know, you hear a lot about stuff through your friends or people that you might not have mm-hmm. through your own culture, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. And now in the day and age we live in now, we we're like, Hey, let's just stop making movies about like straight white dudes And make movies about everyone, all of these different cultures, and be accepting of all of these different cultures. That a movie in the '90s, people, studio executives were like, "Okay, well, we're not gonna push this movie. We're not gonna make this a thing." Now, with you know the different culture, with you know a lot people being a lot more accepting of people who are different, who look and sound different than they are, we are starting to finally see the things that we have been for so long and you know to bring it real quick back to marvel i think that was one of the sins that i think marvel had for so long as they may just kept making movies about bland white dude, or not bland white dude but just like here's just a generic handsome white guy like so many other movies do but now they are finally starting to make movies and shows and stuff about other people you know obviously had moon Knight with yeah. um oscar isaac right right before we recorded this i was just watching uh, miss marvel uh, which is of course um starring a someone who is a Indian uh, teenage Muslim, uh, a first generation, yeah. you know. So yeah. it is, you know, it is really, really cool to see different stuff. You have things like turning red. Um, it's not Marvel, mm-hmm. but you know, like that's a you know Disney's characters that look different. You know, that started back in the nineties. Um, so I, I it's something that makes me very happy.
0: Okay, so you hit you, you hit me with a statistic. I'm gonna hit you with a statistic. Yes. Um, I forget the year like I forget the age but there's an age I think at this point if we age it forward I think we're talking about people maybe in their mid 30s or maybe even late 30s I'm not even sure mm-hmm. but there's an age where you're more likely to be married to somebody who doesn't speak English as a first language than you are to be married to somebody who has a different type of phone than you do.
1: That's really interesting, and that's really cool, I think.
0: Like an Apple user, Apple, well, there's two ways to look at that. Mm -hmm. One, Apple users marry Apple users, and Android users marry Android users. But also, two, like you're more likely, that's so prevalent, that you're more likely to be married to somebody who speaks a different first language than you do than you are to be married to somebody who uses a different type of phone than you do.
1: Yeah, and I think that really speaks to, you know, people nowadays, especially starting in, you know, my generation, you know, I'm in my early 30s now, um, really, as kids, we kind of really didn't care about, like, who we hung out with, it was, you know, and I think a lot of that comes from the fact that, you know, that's about 30 years on from integration and from civil rights and all of that, where we were really kind of the first generation to grow up with its normal And it's acceptable and it's a good thing to talk to people and to interact with people who are different than you, you know, all, like I said before, like my best friend is Indian. My two co-podcasters are both Hispanic. Like I, Mm. I think it's good when it's like, you know, and it's not even something I think about, you know, it's not something most people in our generation think about, but it is something that like older generations were constantly aware of one way or the other but it just doesn't really factor into that kind of thinking for us
0: where where is what kind of phone you have might be a factor in your thinking you know well i mean i th- i've seen other studies where it's like like an android phone for some people is like what was the study i saw that i just i couldn't believe okay first off i'm an android user mm-hmm. okay number 1 um i can't believe there's people out there that buy an apple Specifically, because they don't want the they don't want to be a green bubble on somebody <laughs> else's chat app. I don't. I just don't think that. Eh. That's no. interesting
1: because that is like that is like a tactic that Apple uses to like yeah. like I think that Android sued them for that because they were like trying to like make it a, like a divide where it's like oh this is the cool thing you know it's like the snitches
0: like you're literally you're literally making somebody's experience of their phone worse so that other people will buy an android phone i mean an apple phone which is Yeah, they're so
1: creating crazy. that social pressure. It's it's really that psychology of that is so it's, it's interesting. Silly. It's it's really fucked up, but it's also really interesting. Okay. So
0: Derek, um mm. I used to have Netflix. I had Netflix for years and years. Um Probably not 20 probably maybe, God, maybe 10, 12 years I had Netflix. Mm-hmm. All right. So Netflix, when I had Netflix, it made me realize something. That before I had Netflix, I was running around the world telling everybody and believing, happily believing, that I was not a Western fan. That I didn't like Westerns and wasn't a Western fan. And then Netflix convinced me that, no, Ben, you actually love Westerns. You just like good Westerns and not terrible Westerns. Um, Why don't – so therefore, I am a Western fan. I like Westerns. Like Unforgiven. Um, what's another one? Um, Unforgiven. 310 to Yuma, one... Butch Cassidy, and the Sundance Kid. Those oh, are a couple yeah. of my favorites. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a question. Mm-hmm. Why are we ever going to see Westerns again?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because they have fallen so far out of favor. Um, it, it's and it's interesting because, you know, Westerns are like one of the most specific genres. They're like specifically about a real time and place that happened in American history. And when they started, a lot of people remembered those times. Like Westerns started when films started in like the early 1900s, which was only yeah. like... 20 30 years after the old west had really died out, in some cases it was still kind of going. Um, and then it went, was you know, taking up 90% of films by the 50s, I think, or something like that. And you know, by now that isn't really a thing. And I think another reason they have fallen out of favor is because a lot of the ideals from westerns are it hints at what we were just saying before pretty dated and racist and they're pretty
0: dated. Okay, mm -hmm. right now, having said that. One of my favorite movies of all time is The Searchers.
1: The Searchers is interesting because I think The Searchers is kind of, it's almost, it's not quite an anti-Western, but it's almost an anti-Western where it is examining the kind of racism and colonialism and all the things that were in these Westerns that were bad. Um,
0: Yeah, and Ethan, what's it? I forget his last name, but Ethan, the character, Ethan, uh, the guy played by John Wayne, yeah uh was an anti-hero for sure and you can literally watch that movie a lot and you're not really sure if you're rooting for the bad guy like (laughs) even back in the 50s you weren't really sure if you were rooting for the bad guy the entire time but oh my god it's so cool (laughs) and i
1: think that that was honestly my favorite Clint eastwood performance ever because he just plays Ah. himself which is just a racist asshole
0: I love that. Honest to God. I love that movie. It's so cool. I love the shoot. I love the, the photography in it. Mm -hmm. I love the the plot. The plot is, is so fascinating and you have to see it. I know people's televisions are bigger now than they used to be. Like lots of people have big screen TVs in their house and this and that. You, you really do have to see it on, on some kind of a bigger screen, like not a regular, like tube television for sure oh yeah oh god it's so good yeah so good
1: it's so influential with films because i watched it for the first time right during the lockdown because i was like okay well this is a classic in film history i need to watch it i'm watching him like this is a this is like george lucas just completely cribbed the shot for star wars And you hear all the the kind of you know these guys who are these 70s guys like lucas and spielberg and they'll talk about how Oh, uh, or, you know, Scorsese like, I watched The Searchers, and it was, you know, it really, it spoke to me, you know, and, you know, just, it really is a seminal movie. It's, it I have my problems with it for sure, but, man, you can tell that it's important.
0: I, okay, the only problem, I don't have a problem with the story, and I don't have a problem with the the way, I forget his last name, but the way the Ethan character is portrayed. Well, the problem I have is it's not obvious. It's never obvious unless you're really watching it very carefully, whether or not you're watching the evil guy or the good guy. Mm-hmm. Like, if you watch, so it's almost like you have to watch the first, you have to watch this the DVD special of how they, of the people talking about it and the director actually talking about how he put, there's like a throwaway line in the movie. There's actually a throwaway line in the beginning of the film about whether, about where the director thinks your allegiances ought to go
1: Mm -hmm.
0: where he talks about, I forget the line, but it's like, he's telling you right off the top, like this guy is not a good guy. He's (laughs) he's not the, he's not the winner. You know, he—he's not the person you need to modern, you know, model yourself after. <laughs> but it's so—I um I almost don't want to spoil it for like the gazillions of people that have not seen it, except to say that uh, please see it.
1: <laughs> you know? Yeah, and I, I will add. After you watch that, go ahead and watch. Um, it's a movie. It's a—it's re- a relatively recent movie, but uh, *Hostiles* I think is almost a really good, like, mo- like a good response to it, where it is dealing with a lot of the same themes, and it is a lot more overt and in-your-face and then like, hey, yeah, this guy at the beginning, he is an evil bad dude, and he's done some shitty things, and it kind of is a direct response, especially with, like, you know, I won't spoil it, but the last shots of both of those movies are kind of almost in response to each other, and seeing the arc of Christian Bale's character in Hostiles is really an interesting response, I would say, to uh, Clint Eastwood's characters
0: in well. It's about the Searchers. is essentially about uh, a Confederate officer after the Civil War um, goes after a young girl who was kidnapped by native by, I guess to use the parlance of the day, Indians or Native Americans or whatever we we want to call that. Mm -hmm. The uh, the it's very interesting how there's these little clues all throughout the movie that the director, uh, Ford. Yeah. John um, Ford. Yeah. John Ford is telling you, this is who I think this guy is. Like, this is my opinion of this man. Mm -hmm. Right. And I don't want to say like John Ford was, he might've been progressive on race, uh, back in the fifties. Um, but he was, (laughs) Definitely telling you how he thinks of of Ethan. I forget his last name. Uh, like it's one of the most famous characters in America world cinema. <laughs> but you should totally yeah. see it, um, all of you.
1: Yeah. Any Any it. fun who's interested in film should watch yeah. it. Um, absolutely. Like it is because it is you do see the DNA of modern movies in that film yeah. for for in so many yeah. shots.
0: And it was like it was. It was immortalized in a Patton Oswald bit too, where he went to see. I went to Chinese, the Chinese Grahman Theater to see the Searchers. <laughs> oh my god!
1: Ethan, Ethan Edwards, by the way, I just looked it up. Ethan, Ethan Edwards. Edward, like, okay. Yeah, yeah.
0: I haven't seen the Searchers in a few years, so you have to give it to me. But yeah. did I even get the first name? Yeah, yeah. But. Really good show, a really good uh movie. One of my all-time favorites, mm-hmm. um actually. Um and again, like I, I went into watching Westerns, like, oh I don't like Westerns, but okay, I'll watch this. Holy crap, I love westerns. <laughs> like the unforgiven. Oh my god, that was so good. Yeah,
1: and that's another one that kind of grapples with what are we saying about westerns and you know I think that a lot of especially westerns that got made in like the sixties and seventies that were kind of like, you know, responses to these iconic classic Westerns that are, mm. you know, a lot of them are called anti-Westerns or modern mm. Westerns or revisional whatever you want to call them, uh, are so interesting yeah. because they are deconstructing this myth of the the great white man goes West and conquers the, the savages away. And they're saying, wait a minute,
0: that's actually really wrong and messed up that we were saying that for so long. But also if you look at like... Um... There's another, I get not, it's a Western in that it takes place in the West, but it was, uh, it had Josh Brolin in it and it had, um, it was about that fire that happened out West a few years back. Uh, Uh, No Country for Old Men or? No, it was a, it's a true story about a fire, these firemen that took place in Arizona. Um, Hold on, I'll Google it. Only the Brave. Oh, okay. I never saw that one. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, my God. It's not really your standard Western or anti-Western or whatever. It takes place in the West. Mm -hmm. It's a movie that takes place in the rural American West of, like, the 2010s. Okay. so But it's about these people putting on a forest fire. And it's about, like, this guy played by Josh Brolin who kind of sees his job as a way to save not just his community but the people in his community by giving them a job as a fireman by giving some people who can't get a job anywhere any other way here you can be a fireman okay that's
1: that's interesting and it
0: brings up a good point
1: which is what i kind of alluded to before whereas western is kind of a weird nebulous genre in a way that Mm. most other films aren't like you can tell what a comedy is you can tell what a sci-fi movie is but with a western there's definitely like you'd be like okay well obviously you know the searchers is a western that's clear but does like there's so many like nebulous rules around westerns like oh if a movie is set in modern times but there's still cowboys you know is it a western or is it something else or if it follows all of the like beats of a western but it's set in outer space like people love to call star wars a space western sometimes or you know, like the samurai films are basically Westerns, but they're just set in feudal Japan instead. So there's all these weird rules about what is and what isn't a Western. And there's so many movies that are on the fringes of quote unquote Westerns that nobody can seem to really agree on it. Like, I think Hell or High Water is more of a Western than Star Wars. But you know, a website like Cinefix might completely disagree with that. So it's a weird genre in that aspect.
0: Derek, since I've got a guy from Watch Mojo on the line, I want you to tell me the top ten favorite movies of all time, as far as you're concerned.
1: Okay, okay. In in no particular order, I'm just gonna start rattling off some of my favorites. Uh, I think the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I think I could. I mean, that whole trilogy. If you want to say one, maybe Two Towers. Jurassic Park. Uh, Princess Mononoke. Um, speaking of westerns, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid is, is got to be up there. Um, probably Indiana Jones. If I'll go with Last Crusade. Um, what is that? That's five. Um, the Truman Show. Uh, I love oh, the yeah. love the Truman Show. Um, what else? What else we got here? Um, hmm. We're gonna go with. Uh, Let's see here. I'm, let me pull up my letterbox real fast.
0: Let me
1: give me a sec here. Sorry if you have to edit any of this rambling out.
0: I, I have. A, is it the same lady? Is the same? Is it a? Lady so yeah, basically, lady?
1: yeah. She. I'll. I'll write this. Sc- uh, you know, I work with them, and I write the script, and you know, we'll come up with the top ten with me and like the the people over there, and mm-hmm. so then I'll write mm-hmm. the script. I'll send it in. They'll edit it, and then uh, she'll read it off. Rebecca usually does it there's some other people who read him but yeah
0: who does the one what's the one that's there's a guy who does like uh the the like the real trailer or the fucked up trailer oh honest trailers
1: guy? yeah that's oh, who is that? It's not watch mojo that's like screen is that screen junkies i can't remember i think that's screen I, junkies because dan Merle know, used to work do write those he doesn't work for screen junkies anymore but i think that's that was kind Wait, of his, the, his brainchild. The
0: voice of the voice of Screen Junkies doesn't do... Is he the voice of Screen Junkies? He,
1: Dan, I don't... Because it's an actual guy who does real trailers. The guy who does the Honest Trailers. Dan Merle was the guy who kind of created the concept of Honest Trailers, but he doesn't work for Screen Junkies anymore. He kind of does his own thing now. He's got a really good podcast and YouTube channel that I mm, check mm, out a lot.
0: Yeah. Cool.
1: All right, here we go. All right, so what did I say so far? I said Lord your of the Rings. Top,
0: your top ten movies of all time. Yeah, so fa- I said Lord of the, well, the Rings. your favorite movies. Your top yeah. ten favorite movies.
1: Lord of the Rings, Jurassic Park, Butch Cassidy, Princess Mononoke, um, Indiana Jones. Uh, what else we got? Uh, you know what? Uh, Superbad. I got to throw in Superbad. I, I, I love Superbad. Okay. It's a dumb movie, uh. but I think it's actually a really – smart movie about what it felt like to be a kid in high school specifically at that time. I think every generation kind of has a movie that captures what it feels like to be in high school in a particular time. You had fast times for kids in the 80s. You had American Graffiti for kids in the 50s or 60s and Super Bad it was kind of my generation. Um, the first movie we ever covered on underrated was Speed Racer and I have an unbridled wow. love for that movie. Um, it's, it's so freaking good. Um, let me see. Uh, Amadeus maybe Amadeus is a real good movie. I love that movie. Thank you. I love that movie. (laughs) Um, let's see what else we got here. Uh, I said, did I say, I think I said maybe Truman show was, was up there. I don't know how many movies I'm at. I've kind of lost count. Okay, I, lo-
0: I don't know if this is going to be 10, but my favorite movie of all time, I would say, is Let Me In. Um, I haven't not- seen the original.
1: I've only seen the American remake,
0: which I did like a lot. Okay, I love the, the remake. The original was not good. Like, it was good, mm-hmm. but what I thought was amazing was how he literally just reversed a couple of scenes and he made a completely different film. Yeah. It was a completely different movie. You just reverse a couple of scenes and it's like, oh, wow. That's amazing. And yeah, I've seen the he's remake. He's such a great director, Earth. honestly. He's one yeah. of my
1: all-time favorite directors. I loved his version of the Batman, like I said earlier. So, like, I his Planet of the was, Apes films are phenomenal. Those are in contenders Reeves. for some of my favorite movies of all time, too, that for was sure. Matt
0: Reeves, I think. Yeah, uh, Matt Reeves, yeah. Matt Reeves. Um, So, I love Let Me In. Mm. I like, um, let's see I mean of my generation I kind of have to like Fight Club It's I don't know where it is in the top 10 but it's up there Um, I'm going to have an unpopular take here I really did love Rogue One I thought Rogue One of all the Star Wars movies of all of them I thought Rogue One is the only one of these that would actually be a good film um, I love Rogue would, One don't get
1: me wrong it's, it's, I I, I love Rogue, Rogue One,
0: Rogue one. And I remember like watching it in the theater with a buddy of mine, and my jaw hit the floor. <laughs> end of that movie, my jaw hit the floor. Not, well, not when the Princess Leia character shows up, but before, so right before the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, with with um, the, the much scarier Darth Vader, like the much more frightening, much yeah. scarier Darth Vader. That was really scary. Um i like that i liked um what's another good one um seven just has so many plot holes there's a plot hole in seven that's just so aggravating i can't unsee it (laughs) (laughs) like there's a plot that plot hole in seven just drives me crazy so once somebody pointed that out to me that was off my top 10 list um (laughs) So let's see. Let's see. Um, Zod-
1: speaking of speaking of seven, Fincher is one of my favorite directors ever. And if I had to go with a Fincher film to make it on my top 10, it would probably be Zodiac.
0: Oh, I love. Thank you. I love Zodiac. That's easily. What I love about Zodiac is it transitions from a slasher film to a very well done document, almost documentary with actors. Yeah. As yeah. far as what David venture, it's like a documentary with actors yeah, as far as very, what, very how david dr drama yeah exactly like how david fincher thought this went down like and he really mm-hmm. did say that like this is how i think this went down
1: yeah he's such right. a meticulous director that it is a really perfect film for him yeah. and you know you have the jake Gyllenhaal character robert graysmith who mm-hmm. obviously wrote the original book that really feels like he is just you know the kind of like you know him, the author, putting himself into the film, or the director putting himself into the film, and it, it is yeah, he, very he inhabited very the, the role. Yeah,
0: he inhabited the role. I think, um, the Star Trek with the whales I can't remember the, the yes, the the name Star Trek
1: it, for the voyage home. And, and fun fact if you just Google if you put into wikipedia the one with the whales that's what comes up in star trek for the voyage home i i love that movie that's a great Star Trek. that's an all-time time travel movie for me for sure
0: yeah i love that movie um i saw there i don't know where this is on a top 10 list but i saw the movie us done by jordan peele oh god that was scary okay
1: <laughs> I haven't seen us yet I, I need to see us. I really Ooh. love get out and I'm excited for nope but I I've heard a I lot mean, of mixed things about us so I never ran out and saw it but I, I do need to see it at some point.
0: I didn't like okay I liked watching in the moment I liked watching get out mm-hmm. and then like somebody mentioned if you watch get out again but only pay attention to uh, her. Like, don't pay attention to anybody else but her in the entire film. And that was kind of a weird exercise. But the thing that I realized in doing that was they remade the Stepford Wives. Huh. He remade the Stepford Wives.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It is very, it is very much influenced by a yeah. lot of those kind of like 70s psychological horror slash thriller. You see, know, that's us. Body right cord. There, that Yeah.
0: That's the movie Us. It's so scary. Okay. The movie, <laughs> the movie Us is like... I went into it not thinking how scary... Like, not realizing how scary it would be. And mm-hmm. it's not, like, slasher scary as much as it's, like... Like, just scary. Like, it's real... Sort of this gets you at the end. Like, it just kind of hits you at the end. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> You know, yeah. In fact, I've in fact I have a friend that didn't even see the first the last five minutes of it, and he was like, "I don't know why do people think it's a scary movie? I don't get it." (laughs) Like, oh, you okay? You didn't see the ending? No, it's terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) That's oh god. That I'll say to you is that was a plan. Okay, okay. I love a good payoff. The whole thing was a plan. Um. So I guess like um as far as other really good movies what's a um what's another one um I really love um puzzle movies like I'm so pulp fiction mm-hmm. that's I love pulp fiction um have you ever seen once upon a time in hollywood
1: yeah yeah uh I I think that's a good movie I think that it does uh suffer a little bit from Uh, I can't remember the name, her name, but Tarantino's longtime editor passed away. um, And you can really kind of feel it with his more recent films. They don't have, they kind of feel a little bit like long and drawn out and they don't kind of have that same crackle and like, they just move, his early films move at such clip, you know, like something like Mm -hmm. Reservoir Dogs or, you Mm -hmm. know, even like Jackie Brown, like they always are moving forward. Whereas like, you know. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it's like, all right, we're going to this set piece now. They're going to this set piece now. And I liked it. It just is like the most Tarantino movie you will ever see. It's like, man, there is a lot of like just driving through L.A. with people's feet up on the dashboard in this movie. And I'm like, that's the most Tarantino thing I can imagine.
0: The thing about the the thing about that movie that I really, really, really love Mm -hmm. and Tarantino. I know he, he publicly said, I'm never going to make another movie after I think there's one more coming out, but that's it.
1: Yeah. I think he's, he's, he said he's going to do 10. And I think, yeah, he is at, is he at nine or I can't remember. If he's at nine or eight. I so, but he's, he's gonna almost do done like, either way.
0: I think he's going to do one more. I I really, really honestly wish like he would do a movie. And this is what I was talking about earlier. I wish he would do a movie where nobody died and there was <laughs> no crime. Just so you could appreciate so I could show like my mom, right? This is this genius filmmaker. He's a genius because the thing I love about once upon a time in Hollywood is he's a guy. It's like, if you stand, what's the game where it's a shell game. Okay. It's the, the, those shell games they would play like on the street corners and stuff. Right. Oh, yeah? He's telling you, he's going to do a magic trick. The entire movie, <laughs> he says, I'm going to do a magic trick. I'm doing a magic trick. I'm going to I'm going to fool you. I'm going to fool you. I'm going to fool you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? And then he fools you and you see you're like, "Oh." And he was telling me the entire time. <laughs> he he set it up. And the thing about it, the thing about that movie that's so like 10 years from now. 15 years from now when people don't remember like when a new crop of folks don't remember the the Manson murders, right? That don't know who Charles Manson is, okay? Mm-hmm. Those people are not going to be hit by that movie the same way.
1: <laughs> See, that's that's kind of how I felt about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I and I called the twist just because i had seen inglorious bastards and how he was like oh you think you know where this movie's going they're not going to get hitler in the end i'm going to rewrite history a little bit and they're going to win the good guys are going to win and kind of like there's going to be this alternate history and so when that yeah. happened in *Inglorious bastards it's like oh you got me and then i'm watching once upon a time in hollywood and he, and i'm like oh wait you're there's another historical tragedy coming up and i'm like no 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 you're not going to fool me again tarantino Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. So, like, I was, or reverse that, whatever. But I was like, I was like, I know what you did in the last movie. You're not gonna get me
0: again. I tell you, man. That's what I'm saying, man. Like, <laughs> I remember. Like, I don't remember. I'm not that old that I I don't remember it. But I remember my parents talking about it. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember my parents talking about Sharon Tate that died, and how it happened, and how she was. Roman Polanski's wife or girlfriend or whatever she was mm-hmm. and terrible and blah, blah, blah. And it's horrible. She died. So I knew like, Oh, there's, you know, that's, um, Charles Manson and da da da, da. And yeah, I don't know. Like I knew there would be going to be a Tarantino wrinkle. I didn't think that would be it. Yeah. I didn't realize that would be the wrinkle. I thought at the very last minute, well, I'm not going to spoil it, but yeah. <laughs>
1: I mean, I kind of okay. already did, but... Okay, for sorry, everybody, sorry okay. Listeners.
0: No, it's okay. Look, before you see the movie, Google the, the, the how Sharon Tate died, okay? Do that first, read the Wikipedia first, and then watch the movie. Hmm. <laughs> yep. You know? It's kind of like if you watch the DVD extra with The Searchers, The Searchers is a different movie. If you mm-hmm. watch that first, The Searchers is a totally different film.
1: Yeah, context definitely definitely matters in film. Yeah.
0: When you find out before you go in that the Ford actually didn't like Ethan Edwards, yeah, didn't like him. <laughs> you know? And actually, I think I read somewhere that he had cast, um, somewhere like somehow I forget how it came, but it's like he intentionally put, uh you know, John Wayne in that role on purpose.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He
0: purposely did that to John. Wayne,
1: And it makes sense. It makes sense. That is like I I said before, the best John Wayne has ever done because he's just playing himself, which is just being jerk.
0: I mean, it's like, what was the, what's that one actor that there's an actor these days that plays himself in every film. He's just out there playing himself in every movie. Yep. Yep. Is it, Oh, God! okay! Give me a hint. what's he been in? I think it's Nick Cage, oh man, I don't know
1: if I agree with that I think Nick Cage is he is a very versatile actor i think he's i mean he was literally playing himself in the last movie he was in in the unbearable weight of massive talent, but I think he's he's doing something weird and different um and I don't th- well, think that people always know how to how to handle it
0: <laughs> well he has to i mean i'll give him I'll give him props for this. He was in really bad movies, but he was in really bad movies for really good reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, he needed to support his family, and or yeah. his mother was going through cancer, and it was, he was in terrible movies, but for really good human reasons. Yeah, and he's also so, in
1: really a lot of really great movies that you know, unfortunately, those are the movies that people don't see of his. But he gives some. Yeah. Weird, iconic, interesting performances
0: in all these leaving kind of smaller Las, films, I think. Leaving Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I don't think of it as a small film, but adaptation, he's great in adaptation.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. He's great in that. I mean, that's... Yeah, the, Charlie Kaufman, leave, yeah. Yeah, that, those are my two favorite... Well, I really also like 8mm, mm-hmm. but that's kind of a guilty pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> take the last little bit of eight millimeter off and it's a really good movie. (laughs) If it just sort of ended where he drove off and you're like, how does it end? (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. uh, Thanks Derek. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Thank you for having me. I've I've had a blast on here. Shout your stuff out, man.
1: Yeah. So like we had talked about, um, I do a podcast of my own, Uh, with a couple friends called Underrated, where we talk about films um, that are underrated or underappreciated. Um, That comes out every other Monday. And, you know, whatever app you're listening to this on, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, what have you, it is on all the podcast apps. Um, You can check me out my writing on Medium. Just look up my name, Derek McDuff. That's Derek, D-E-R-I-C-K. And check me out there. Um, I'm on social media at Derek's underscore photos. Or check out uh my podcast. It's undercast company on all the socials. Um yeah, I do I do a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, well, if you've already have maybe heard my stuff. If anybody out there likes Watch Mojo, you might have heard some of my writing already, but that's a lot of my other stuff. But yeah, underrated is the one I want to highlight the most for
0: sure. What did you okay, I gotta know, because I really I wasn't buttering you up a second ago. <laughs> I really do love Watch Mojo. I have to know. Like what are your favorite well, what have you written on Watch Mojo that I would have seen?
1: So let me, let me actually bring up my list here. Cause that, uh, I, when I did, that was really cool was it was top, it was originally a top 10, but then I expanded to a top 20, um, cartoon finales. So I was like, there was a time when it was like a year or two ago. I was like, cool. I'm just going to go watch adventure time right now and then write about it and get paid for it. That was really cool. Um, I wrote, uh-huh. uh, like I mentioned the top 10, um, uh, top 10 killer songs of all time. That's that one's a bit old now. So it's a little outdated, Um, but that was, that was a lot of fun.
0: Like killers, like the band. Yeah. Like the
1: killers, like, you know, Mr. Brightside, all, all that good stuff. Uh, let me see here. Okay. Well, the,
0: the the number one song has got to be the live version of, um, Mr. Brightside that they, that they do, I think in London. Oh,
1: from the Royal Albert Hall. Yeah. I think it was just Mr. Brightside in general, but yeah, like that was number one. Um, that's a,
0: that's a really good rendition of that song yeah
1: yeah oh my gosh like i've seen them live a few times and like every time yeah. they play that people lose their minds lose um, their
0: mind um, see
1: another good one i did was i had a lot of fun writing it was the top 10 years in gaming history so i got to write about like oh in like yeah. 2003 halo came out and, and this came out and, or 1998 it was ocarina of time and pokemon red and blue and that was really cool Um uh, what else yeah uh, top ten studios that gave us a t- favorite childhood movies was a really cool one that I wrote. Um, how is
0: it not? How is Disney not everybody's one, two, and three? <laughs> well, it was like Honestly, Disney,
1: Pixar, Ghibli, all those ones. Um,
0: come on, Disney's yeah. got to be one, two, and three for everybody. <laughs> everybody, oh, everybody alive to hear this voice, this microphone. Yeah. <laughs> Disney is your favorite. Stop it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Disney, I think was it was pretty. Sure it was number one on that one. <laughs> And sometimes I get to write cool, like little more film essay type stuff for them. Like I wrote one um, right around when both Stan Lee and Steve Didko died about the creation of Spider-Man and what role each of them played in that. Uh, yeah. That was that was really cool. Um, so yeah. uh, that that was a that was a lot of fun. Um, let's see, and sometimes I just do random weird ones like top ten stars you forgot were on Boy Meets World. Was <laughs> a cool one. Uh, you know, just because I love Boy Meets World. And I was like, hey, remember Adam Scott was on Boy Meets World? Not a lot of people remember that. Thank you so much uh, for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me.